You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. You know, uh, before I became a pastor and launched The Rising, I was a student ministry pastor for seven years, uh, which meant that I oversaw a ministry for high school and middle school students. And I had about 20 adult leaders um, who I had trained and equipped to invest in teenagers. And I remember one Sunday, I was, I was there at church, and somebody in our church came up to me, and they said, uh, hey, I just want to let you know that I saw one of your adult leaders hugging on a teenage girl in the lobby. And I don't think that's appropriate. I think that sends a bad message, and I think you need to say something to them. Uh, and I think you need to train your leaders better so they know not to do that. And when I heard what this person said, I was appalled. Like, I could not believe that I had an adult leader in my student ministry hugging on a teenage girl. And, and because during the onboarding process, when volunteers came on, I made sure to talk to them about boundaries and how we live above reproach and how uh, you should not hug someone of the opposite sex, especially a, a, a student. And, and I was a little frustrated, too, by the person who came to me and told me that because they were just kind of assuming the worst in me. It was like they, was all, they were accusing me of not training my leaders well. But I didn't talk to them about that. Instead, I went to the person that they told me about. And, and I confronted him. I said, hey, I just want to let you know that this person told me they saw you hugging a teenage girl in the lobby. And I told him who it was, by the way. Uh, I always tell people who told me something because I hate it when somebody comes up to me and says, uh, hey, somebody told me or these people are saying or everybody's saying this. I always say, well, who is somebody or who are these people and who is everybody? Well, I can't really tell you. I want to protect their identity. Well, then I can't listen to you because I refuse to listen to anonymous criticism. By the way, you should too. You should refuse to spread anonymous criticism because if the person is not man enough or woman enough to come and confront you and tell you about it, then you don't need to listen to it. Because if I listen to anonymous criticism, then there's some nameless, faceless person out there who's constantly criticizing me and I can't do anything about it. So I don't listen to that. So I went and I told him, I said, hey, this is the person who told me this. They said that they saw you hugging on some teenage girl in the lobby, and I just want to remind you that we have boundaries in our ministry. We live above reproach. You cannot hug a student of the opposite sex. That is unacceptable, and if you choose to do it again, you cannot be in this ministry. And the leader looked back at me dumbfounded, and they said, did she have brown hair and a pink shirt on? And I was like, I don't know what she was wearing. I just know you were hugging on a teenage girl, and you shouldn't be. And the leader said, She's my niece. And I said, oh. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know, y'all. I didn't know. I didn't know. And I wouldn't have known because I didn't ask. Instead, what happened was I got some information, I jumped to a conclusion, I assumed the worst, and I accused this person. And when I did that, it, it made me lose leadership credibility. It didn't make this person feel good. Well, what would have happened if instead of jumping to the wrong conclusion and assuming the worst, if I had chosen to believe the best? If instead I went to that person and I said, hey, this person told me they saw you hugging on a teenage girl in the lobby. Can you help me understand that? Can you give me a little more information? Oh, she's my niece. Oh, okay, cool, no problem. Well, I guess they didn't know that. I'll go tell them that. And now everything's solved. Done. Like, it would have been that simple if I simply chose to believe the best instead of filling in the lack of information I had with accusations and assuming the worst. 
Today we're continuing the series we started uh, a few weeks ago called Attitude Platitudes, a cleverly crafted compilation on culture. You guys all right over there? All right. Uh, (laughs) A cleverly crafted compilation on culture. And in this series, what I'm doing is I'm giving you a value to implant in your life so that it can take roots and grow up in you. And I believe that if you instill these biblically-based values in your life and you live by them, it'll transform everything for you. And today, uh, I want to draw our attention around this value, we believe the best. And so if you hadn't yet already, go ahead and write that at the top of your notes section in the program that we gave you. We believe the best. Uh, now, here's, here's the thing. When I talk with people about the values that we have as a church, this is the number one value people say they have the most difficulty with. This is the toughest value for many people to live out. And here's why. Because believing the best is all about gap management. And the reason it's so difficult for people to believe the best is because we are often terrible at managing the gap. Now, when I talk about managing the gap and gap management, here's what I mean. Uh, Often in life, we have an expectation, uh, and then we have an experience. Uh, And when our experience doesn't measure up to our expectation, there's a gap that's created in the middle. And it's difficult for so many people to believe the best because it's hard for them to manage this gap between expectation and experience. And so in life, we have an expectation. And then... There's our experience, right? We have an expectation, and then our experience, right? We have an expectation, and then there's our experience. We have an expectation, and then there's our experience. Last one, last one, last one. We have an expectation of how things are going to be, but then we have the experience, right? And when, when this happens, there's a gap that's created. And so I'll make this a little more relatable to you. Uh, you had an expectation that they were going to show up on time. The experience is they came late. A gap has now been created. You had an expectation that we were going to be able to pay all our bills this month, but then the experience is somebody in my family spent a little more than they should have, and we came up short, and we can't cover our bills. There's a gap that's created. You had an expectation that they wouldn't hurt you. But the experience is, they did hurt you. And so now a gap is created. And the question is, what do we do with the gap? How do we build a bridge between the gap? How do we manage this gap? And the great thing is this, that you and I get to choose what we do with the gap. We can fill the gap with assuming the worst, or we can fill the gap with believing the best. We have those two options. And so you had an expectation that our marriage is going to be a certain way, and we're going to live this certain life, and we're going to treat each other this way. But the experience is that that's not happening. And so what do you do with the gap? Because you've, you've come short of the expectation. Well, you could assume the worst in the gap. You could say, that's it, I knew it. He'll never love me like I want him to love me. He'll never love me like I dreamed like he would love me when I was a little girl. And so I need to find somebody who can love me like I want them to. You can assume the worst where you say, she doesn't appreciate me. She undervalues me. She takes me for granted. And so I need to find somebody who's going to show me some appreciation. Or you can believe the best in the gap. Our marriage might not be what we expect it to be, but we have the rest of our lives to live with one another, to learn how to love one another so that we can draw closer from what we're experiencing to our expectation. And we can make our reality the expectation that we want. You could choose to assume the worst or believe the best. No, it's good. You lead the way. 
you have an expectation. My friend said that they were going to call me at this time. The experience is they didn't call you. What do you do with the gap? You can assume the worst. I knew it. I knew they weren't my friend. I knew they didn't care about me anyway. I, you know, every time they need me, I'm there for them. But now I need them, and they're not here. We were never friends in the first place. I think I'm going to write them off. Or you could believe the best. Maybe they forgot. <laughs> Maybe something came up. Maybe they had all the best intentions to call me, but they got distracted. Maybe I'm not the center of their world, and that's okay. Maybe, just maybe, I'm being a little needy right now, and I need to sort through that myself. What do you do with the gap when you have an expectation, but the experience doesn't measure up? You can choose to assume the worst or believe the best. And we should be the kind of people who believe the best. But before we get there, before we become these kind of people who, who live out believing the best, uh, I need to help us understand why we often assume the worst. And so the, the first point I want to give you as to why we assume the worst is this. We often assume the worst because we lack information. We assume the worst because we lack information. Uh, see, our minds come to conclusions quickly. They have to. We don't have time to process through everything. And so we read a headline, we get a snapshot of something, we heard this thing, and then there's all these gaps of information, and our minds fill in those gaps. We begin to write a backstory of what took place. Um, often we don't take time uh, to consider the context. We, we don't stop to say, okay, um, so what is the past performance? Uh, we don't say, well, what? I know they did this, but what were their intentions? So often because we have a lack of information, we jump to a conclusion, and it causes us to assume the worst. I, I experience this all the time, but, but one of the ways that I experience this is um, last year, uh, we did an egg drop in the city of Norfolk. It was the largest egg drop the city of Norfolk has ever seen. Uh, we covered Ghent Elementary with 40,000 eggs. Like, we covered that field with 40,000 eggs. We dropped thousands of eggs from a helicopter. We had over 4,000 people show up to the event. And we did it, and it was an amazing event. It showed our community love. It, it also showed us what we could do as a church if we all get together, speak the same language, and are on the same team. It showed us what we're capable of. And so the news came out. They did a story on it. It was on TV. Uh, the pilot came out. They wrote an article about it. You can read it online. But I don't know if you ever read news articles online, but if you do, you should never read the comments section, right? Because like two or three comments in, they just erode into chaos. Uh, this one, it didn't even take two or three comments for it, to, for it to just be craziness. Because the first comment that somebody made after reading the article, and, and it's since been deleted, I, I don't know why, but, but the person said this, uh, because we were celebrating something for Easter, they accused us of celebrating some pagan festival. And because we were using Easter eggs, they accused us of worshiping some mythological egg god. It's like... No, we just did an egg hunt for kids, bro. Like, <laughs> calm down. That's, that's all we did. There was another lady who, um, in the event page, uh, made a sarcastic comment. And she said, well, I hope you're providing helmets for everybody. It's like, we're not dropping eggs on people's heads, lady. Like, we're dropping them on a field. Calm down. There was another person who responded to the article, and, and he said, uh, something like he didn't read the article, I don't think. He thought we were dropping 40,000 hard boiled eggs on the ground. And so he's like, I can't believe this church would waste food like that. There are people starving in the world. Shame on you for doing something. It's like, calm down. That is not what we're doing. But because they had a lack of information, they jumped to a false assumption and they came up with a wrong conclusion. And here's what I found 
through looking at internet comments and trolls online. It's this. And if you hadn't learned this, this is, this is gold I'm about to give you. You might want to write this down. It's this. That there are going to be haters. <laughs> there are always going to be haters. No matter what you do, Jesus had his haters, and Jesus was perfect. And here's what I found out about haters. Again, this is, you got to bold this one. Here it is. This is the thing about haters. Haters going to hate. <laughs> haters going to hate. They just are, no matter what. And you think, no, 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 I'll explain it to you. I'll explain it to them. No, they're going to hate. No, I'll give them some more information. They don't care. They're going to hate. You are always going to have people opposing you. But here's the thing. If you are a Christian, you should not be one of those haters. Because we do not follow a God who is a hater. Instead, we follow a God who is love. John 4, 16, uh, 1 John 4, 16, God is love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. And then John 3, 17, Jesus said, I have not come to condemn the world. I hadn't come to be a hater, but I came to save the world. So if you see something, an article, hear something, hearsay, whatever it is, don't jump to a conclusion and become a hater because you have been called to a higher purpose than that. Y'all heard about that one church where the pastor has his own helicopter? You know about that other ch that, that church where everybody on staff drives around in Beamers and Mercedes? You know what I'm talking about. It's not true. But somebody spread some gossip. Somebody heard that. Well, I don't think that's right. That pastor shouldn't be getting paid that much. That, pastor, that church, they talk too much about money. The reason why that church talks about money so much is because they got a great vision. And if a church has no vision, they won't ask for any money. I heard about this one pastor. He got, a, he got a $26 million house. I just think that's unacceptable. You don't know his story. You don't know where he came from. You don't know about the apartment he was living in back in the day when he was trying to get his life straight. Don't jump to a conclusion and start judging somebody because you saw a headline. We're not haters. We're not, when we have a lack of information, we just find information and then make our conclusions on that. You read that article about what's going on in politics? I just don't think. I can't believe. Can you believe that? Stop being a hater. Find out some more information. And if you don't have anything nice to say, my mom said don't say anything at all. Listen, we believe the best, not assume the worst. And it just might be that I wasn't in the room to hear the conversation that actually went on or why they did that or whatever. And so because I don't have all the information, I'm not going to jump to a conclusion. And I don't want my persona online or in front of people to be one as a negative now. So I'm going to believe the best because I don't have all the information. We often assume the worst because we have a lack of information, but, but also we typically assume the worst because um, our first inclination is to show ungrace. Our first inclination is to show ungrace. See, when somebody offends you, when somebody says something, or you heard somebody said something about you, or, or, or this happened, uh, our first inclination is to snarl with sarcasm, is to, is to react, is to, well, I can't believe, and, but they in this, and it's, it's to become defensive, is to show ungrace to people. And this is sometimes my first inclination, and I have to stop and remind myself, wait, 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 wait. Not everybody is as perfect as I am. <laughs> Not everybody is going to think like I think. 
Not everybody is going to do what I do. And by the way, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about all of us, okay? But we need to stop and just remember, not everybody is perfect as we are. And so they might not do what we do. They might not say what we say in the tone of voice we would say it. And they might not think what we think. And I know there's a reason why we do it, because it's right. If it wasn't right, we wouldn't do it. But maybe, just maybe, they're not perfect. And so since they're not perfect, what I need to do is show them grace. Grace is getting the opposite of what you deserve. Maybe I need to show them grace. And here's what I do to remind myself when, when it's easy for me to respond with ungrace, when it's easy for me to react, when it's easy for me to get mad or I can't believe or to form an opinion based on a lack of information. Here's, here's what I do. Um, if you want to do it, you can. Uh, it's totally up to you. But what I do is when somebody does something stupid, when somebody does something I don't like, when somebody does something I don't agree with, I just stop and I say one word, people. <laughs> say it, just people, you know. Somebody does something, people. Here, I wanna give you a chance to say it. Get it, get, get it going through your vocal cords. Here, let's give it a shot. I'll say one, two, three, and you say it. Ready? One, two, three. People. Yeah, no, but, but it's more like people. <laughs> Here, let's try it again, try it again. One, two, three people <laughs> yeah and you can say it different ways you can be like people or if you're really frustrated you can be like people or you just think it to yourself people and so here's how this looks see when you're driving down the interstate and the guy who's speeding past you cuts you off and that same guy who cuts you off then flips you off rather than you getting mad and you yelling and shaking your fist you just shake your head you smile and you say people <laughs> people when you're driving down the street and evidently you're going too slow because the person behind you speeds up and they pass you even though there's solid double yellow lines right there and they pass you but then they get stuck at the same traffic light as you. What you do is you pull up right next to them, you look over, you smile, you wave and you say, people. People. When you go to the microwave at your job and it looks like somebody's Aunt Michelina's TV dinner exploded all over the place, rather than you taking the time to type up a passive aggressive note calling out the anonymous slob in your workplace, what you do instead is you scrub the microwave yourself and while you're scrubbing, you say, People. You can even make a song into it. You can sing while you scrub. People, people, people are so lazy. People, people, glad I didn't respond like I was crazy. You, know, you, you just, just, just people, people. That's what people do. That's how people are sometimes. And so when you're walking behind somebody, I mean directly behind somebody, and they open the door and they don't hold it open for you, they just let it close. You reach out, you hold it open, and you just think to yourself, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Or when you hold the door open for somebody and they walk through and they don't even say thank you, you just look at the back of their head, you smile, you shake your head, and you say, people. <laughs> when you're in the Target parking lot and you're about to park in that space, but you realize somebody couldn't take their cart to the cart corral, it's right over there, but they left it in the space. You get out of your cart, you grab the cart, you put it in the cart corral the whole time you're wheeling it over there. You just say, yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. Or when you're at the Target uh, parking lot next week, you got to calm down on your visits to the Target, but you're there and you're about to pull in that space because it's packed. You got your turn signal on. And somebody sneaks in and takes your spot. You don't get out of your car and slash their tires and kick their car. Instead, you just say, people, like that, right? When you're back at Target the next week 
and you see a parking spot and you're like, oh yeah, it's right up front. But then you realize that somebody believes that their car is the most important car in the entire world and they pulled in to take up two parking spots so nobody could ding their car. You go park far back and when you walk past their car, you look at it and you say, people, people. When you're at the Mexican restaurant and you're in the bathroom and the guy leaves without washing his hands, you don't say people. You follow him to his table. You say, I have an announcement to make. Your friend who's sharing these chips with you, just in case you taste any extra flavor, he's, he didn't wash his hands. I don't want y'all to get influenza. I'm just saying, you can't give grace on that one. You gotta call that one out. But I just have to remind myself, man, people, People aren't perfect and people need grace. And you know what? I'm one of those people. And so I need grace too. I'm not always going to get it right. I'm not always going to be perfect. And I just hope that somebody would extend me grace when I get it wrong. We need to be the kind of people who rather than responding with our first inclination, responding with ungrace, we're the kind of people who just remind ourselves, oh yeah, that's right. Not everybody's as perfect as me. So I'll give them some grace, because they're a people. I'm a people too, and I need grace. And so these are some of the reasons why we assume the worst, but, but I wanna show you an instance in the scriptures where people in the church actually got it wrong, where the church didn't set a great example of believing the best. And so if you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to open up to Acts chapter six, verse one. It's Acts chapter six, uh, starting in verse one, uh, we'll have the words for on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible. Also, if you don't have a Bible, you can download one for free uh, from the app store on your phone. Just type in Bible. The first option that comes up uh, by Life Church most likely is a, is a great app to have. Uh, but Acts chapter six, verse one. Now, here's, here's what's happened. Um, the church had just begun. This is about 2,000 years ago. And then experienced tremendous growth. Uh, Acts chapter four, verse four, lets us know that at this time there were at least 5,000 men in the church. It doesn't include women and children. So there's about 15,000 people who are part of the first church. Some people hate on big churches. I don't like those mega churches. You wouldn't have liked the first church then because it was massive. And so there's 15,000 people uh, in the church. And this is where it picks up. Acts chapter six, verse one. It says, in those days, when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so evidently, there's like a welfare program going on here where uh, the 12 apostles of Jesus, minus Judas, they got another guy, and so there's 12 apostles now. They're distributing food to over 15,000 people. Now, not everybody needs the food, but some of them do. And so they're giving their time to make sure people are fed. But there's a systematic problem. See, their growth, um, they had outgrown the system that was in place, and there were some widows who were being overlooked. And the Greek Jews, it says, complained about it. Now, the Greek word that's used here for complained is the word gagasmas. Let me hear you say gagasmas. Yeah, and so there's some gagasmas going on. And um, 
what that implies is, like, they weren't verbally, like, bringing it to the attention of the apostles. Instead, this implies, like, a secretive dissatisfaction. There were these rumblings and grumblings. Really, what was going on is there was gossip taking place in the church. These Greek Jews were like, I can't believe they're overlooking us. They must not like us. They must think that we're second-class citizens or whatever. And so they're, like, grumbling. There's gossip that's going on in the church, and then the apostles catch wind of it. Uh, Acts chapter six, verse two. It says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So what they're saying is, we're not too good to wait on tables, but we got a different role. Our role is the ministry of the word of God, and it's not right for us to neglect our role to do this. So... Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and they will give, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. It says, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumbaa, <laughs> Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So, there's a problem in the church. These widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, and the Greek Jews are complaining about it. Not once did they say, you know what? We're a part of a church with 15,000 people. The apostles are really doing their best to serve and love us, and maybe they're a little overwhelmed. So let's step up and become the solution to the problem we see. They didn't say that. Instead, there's a problem. They don't like it. They jump to some conclusions. They assume some things. They assume the worst, and they complain about it. But thank God the early Christians didn't do what Christians do today. You know, every once in a while, um, somebody will come up to me, and this happens at other churches too, I know because I've talked with other pastors about it, and they're like, yep, happens here too. Uh, But somebody will come up to me and they'll say, "Uh, hey pastor, can I talk to you real quick? And when I hear that, I'm like, oh no. You should believe the best. No, I, every time somebody, Pastor, can I talk to you real quick? It's never good. Uh, by the way, let me explain this believing the best thing to you. Believing the best does not mean that you're naive, right? It doesn't mean that you shut your eyes and, and don't look at the evidence. Because, listen, if he's, if he's hitting you, that's a trend there. You don't believe the best. Well, he said he's going to stop. No, he's been doing this for three months. It's time to get out. You look at the evidence, and people have a reputation, and you're in charge of your reputation, right? Um, so Sheila says she's going to be there. But you know Sheila ain't never been anywhere she says she's going to be. Well, I just want to believe the best. No, she's not coming, because she's created the trend and the reputation. She's not coming. This isn't about being stupid. This isn't about closing your eyes and, well, I just hope so. No. Like, look at the evidence. But but people, people will come to me and they'll say, hey, Pastor, can I talk to you real quick? Yeah, sure, what, what's up? And then I know it's really bad when they started off this way. Hey, I've been praying. <laughs> well, I thought prayer was a good, it is, but not in this context, not when somebody starts off a conversation this way. Hey, I've been praying. I'm like, oh, no. Because <laughs> it happens this way every time. And here's what they say. Hey, I've been praying. And we just feel like God It's God's fault. God is calling us to go somewhere else. 
hey, Pastor, I've been praying, and we just feel like God is calling us to go somewhere else. We don't know where that is, but we know God is calling us to leave here and go somewhere else. Now, this doesn't just happen here. It happens at other churches, too. As I talk with other pastor friends, I'm like, hey, you ever have somebody say, hey, I've been praying? They're like, yep, I know where you're going with that. God's calling me to go somewhere else? Yep, uh-huh, okay. So it happens everywhere. But they'll say, oh, and, and nobody's ever come to me and say, hey, Pastor, I've been praying. And God has just put it on my heart to be more generous this year. And so I'm going to increase what I give by a percentage. Nobody's ever said that to me. Nobody's ever said, Pastor, I've been praying and God has been convicting me about my level of leadership. And so I'm going to step up the way that I serve this year. Nobody's ever said that to me. Nobody said, Pastor, I've been praying and God has been convicting me about the lost people in my life. And so I'm going to make it a point to bring them to church, to introduce them to Jesus. No, whenever somebody starts off, hey, I've been praying. It's never any of those great things. It's always, and we just feel like God is calling us to go somewhere else. I don't get it. It's like I have this image of God in heaven. And again, uh, people say that, from, they'll say, hey, God's leading us to leave this church, and then they end up here. And that, I mean, if you're here, that's great. But, but it's just like God is up in heaven, and he's swapping people around like, okay, you're done at this church, go to that one. Here, you come over here to this church. And then, like, God is playing the shell game with Christians, just switching them out at different churches. I, I don't see that God does that. But I'll ask them, I'll say, okay, so what happened? Like, why? What? Listen, we love everything about the church. We love everything that's going on. But, but there's this one thing. And then we heard that this person said this, or somebody else who left said they left because of this, and so here's why, and so blah, blah, blah. And so, so, and so how long have you been praying about this? Oh, like a month, like three weeks. So you've been feeling this way for a month or three weeks? Uh, yeah, kind of. Okay. Well, how come you didn't say anything about it? How come you didn't come to the source and say, hey, when we did this, here's kind of what I thought. Can you explain it to me? How come you just kind of jumped to a conclusion, and now you're leaving because of it? How come when you heard what this person said, you didn't come and say, hey, they said this, what really happened? And then we can say, well, that was their perspective, but here's what really took place. Or, hey, I heard that we do this. Is that right? Well, actually, here's what we do. Like, if you would have just come and, and asked about it and believed the best, then we could have explained it before you jumped to the conclusion that you did. And now, now you're leaving. And, and then I'll say this to them. So here's, here's the thing. I've been praying too. And God is telling me, that you should stay and be the solution to your problem because that's what Christians do. Well, no, God's telling us to leave. Okay, well, God's given us mixed messages because <laughs> he's telling me to stay and be the solution to your problem because wouldn't it be ridiculous if in this passage the, the Greek Jews went to the apostles and they said, hey, we've been praying and we just feel like God is calling us to go to the church down the street because our widows are being overlooked. If you read that in the Bible, that the Greek Jews went to the apostles and they said, hey, we're going to ABC Baptist down the street because our widows are being overlooked. You'd be like, that is the most ridiculous verse in all the Bible. You don't do that. When there's a problem, you find a solution because that's what Christians do. If you don't believe in Jesus, if you're not a Christian, set Christianity aside. If there's a problem, you find a solution because if you're over 18, that's what adults do, right? But, but, but they didn't respond that way. Instead, there's a problem, and they work on a solution. 
And the apostles don't say, we'll be the fix for your problem. The apostles say, you saw the problem, you rise up, and you be the fix. See, when you have a frustration, you are the fix for your frustration. Don't assume the worst. Don't jump to conclusions. But instead, believe the best. And say, we're in this together. How can I fix this? And I believe this is true, not just in church, but at your workplace, in your family, wherever it is, if you have a frustration, if there's something that's rubbing you the wrong way, I believe God is divinely giving you that frustration. I believe God is helping you see that problem. Not so you can up and run or up and leave, but so you can rise up to be the solution to that problem. So you could be the fix for that frustration. Because if you get frustrated here and you decide to leave, we are worse off because we still got that problem and we don't know how to fix it, but you do, because you had the frustration. So rise up and be the fix for your frustration. And I just wanna let you know this. This church is not perfect, because you're here. <laughs> it's not perfect, because I lead it. And I'm not perfect. Our church is not perfect, because we're filled with people who are imperfect. And if you're looking for a perfect church, good luck finding it. And here's the thing, if you get mad or frustrated or whatever because this person hurt my feet, okay, fine. When you go to the next church, that's going to happen there. And this is going to happen to the next church. Instead, what happens is when we come across problems, we rise up to be the solution. When we're frustrated, we rise up to be the fix for our frustration. This is what happened in the scriptures. They, they found a problem, or they found a solution to the problem. And I want to show you what took place because they believe the best because they worked out a solution. Verse seven says this, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. When we confront our frustrations and our problems and we decide to be the solution, when we decide to not jump to false conclusions, when we decide to not assume the worst, when we decide to believe the best, the word of God will spread in our church the number of people coming to know Jesus will increase. That's what happens when we choose to believe the best. And I've got to let you know up front, you are going to get offended at this church. You're going to be pushed past your comfort zone at this church. You're going to be inconvenienced at this church. Because if I didn't push you past your comfort zone, I'm not helping you grow. If I don't call you to inconvenience, then you're not following Jesus because Jesus calls us to do things that are inconvenient. He told his disciples, leave everything and come follow me. Well, how about I do that next Tuesday because I got a plan? No, 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 no. It's inconvenient following Jesus. There are going to be times somebody's not going to be having the best day and they're going to say something to you in the wrong tone of voice. That's when you just say, people, people. It happens. But we are the kind of church that doesn't assume the worst. Instead, we believe the best. And so how do we become these kind of people? How do we become the kind of people who determine to believe the best in every situation? The, the first way that we do this is to, to determine that we are going um, to, I wrote it down here, address an offense immediately. We're going to address an offense immediately. Um, one of the phrases that I've come to despise, and no Christian should ever say this, is, well, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, why are you collecting straw? Right? Are you one of the three little pigs about to build a house? Like, why are you collecting straw? If you're a Christian, you shouldn't collect straw because 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Well, why are you collecting straw? 
A camel can carry between 600 and 1,000 pounds on its back. That's a lot of straw. So why, why, when you got the first straw, didn't you come and say something? Why did you keep collecting it to the second and the third? At what point do you say, hey, I got some straw here. Can we sort this out? Why just stockpile all this small stuff and then eventually say, that's it. This is a straw that broke the camel's back, so it became this big thing. No, for Christians, we address an offense immediately at work, in our family, at church, wherever it is. We don't collect straw. Save the camels, right? What did the camel ever do to you that you want to? We got to stop collecting straw. And when we address an offense immediately, what it does is it eliminates gossip in our midst. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're a Christian, there's no room for gossip in your life. In this church, there's no room for gossip at all. And I want to define gossip so we're all on the same page. Gossip is when you take something to someone who can't do anything about it. Gossip is when you take something to somebody who can't do anything about it. Well, I'm just venting. No, you're gossiping. If, if, if Crystal keeps dropping assignments that are assigned to her, you don't go to your coworker and talk to your coworker about Crystal. I can't believe Crystal always drops these assignments. Instead, if you've got a problem with Crystal, you go to Crystal to talk to Crystal about Crystal. Right? Or you go to Crystal's boss. We just don't gossip. When you take something to someone who can't do anything about it, it's gossip. Well, I'm just looking for advice. Well, go to the person you got a problem with and ask them for advice on how to handle it. That's how we address things. There's no room for gossip in, in the life of a Christian. There's no room for gossip in the church. And, and so the way that you address it is you go to Crystal and you say, hey, it seems that you've been dropping some assignments that are assigned to you. Can you help me understand what's going on? Is there anything I can do to help you? That's how you, that's how you handle it. So if you are a Christian, it's also your responsibility to stop gossip. If somebody comes to you with something, I, I can't fix that, go to them. Well, I'm just looking for advice. Well, I wanna help my friend out and tell him what to do. No, here's how you help him out. You say, go to them. Go talk to them about it. Don't, don't bring me into this, I don't know. But we need to be the kind of people who address an offense immediately. We can't let it happen and just fester because then it leads to gossip. Um, the second thing, if we're going to become the kind of people who believe the best, is we need to get more information. We need to get more information. We need to understand that we don't understand everything. So because I don't understand everything, I need to get more information. I need to ask questions. And here's how you do it. Somebody said something to you that offended you. Somebody did something you didn't like. Somebody uh, made a decision you didn't understand. What you do is you go to that person and you say, hey, when you said this, here's how I felt. When you did this, this is how I felt. This decision you made, here's, here's what you ask them. Can you help me understand why you made that decision? When you said this, I, I felt offended. And I'm sure your intention wasn't to offend me. So can you help me understand where you were coming from when you said that? Can you help me understand what you were going through at the moment that you said that? Can, can you help me understand? That's, that's how you get more information. Now, I can't believe you said that. What's wrong with you? You said this. I felt this way. Can you help me understand where you were coming from? Because I'm sure that wasn't your intention. We believe the best by gathering more information. That's how you confront somebody to get more information. Uh, finally, if we're gonna become the kind of people who believe the best, uh, we just need to determine that we're gonna give grace. We just need to determine that we're gonna give grace because again, not everybody is as perfect as you are. Not everybody's gonna do what you would do. 
Not everybody's going to think like you would think. Not everybody's going to say things in the same tone of voice that you would say them in. Maybe during the sermon, you've gotten offended. Sorry. But I didn't come up here seeking to offend people for offense sake. I came up here to offend you to a point where you move to change, where you decide, yeah, that's a little too close for comfort. Yeah, that hurts. But there's some truth in that. But even if not, I'd ask that you give me some grace. Because we all need grace. And when you feel like responding with ungrace, you respond with grace. Here's why. Because you've been given grace. There was a time where you deserved something. And God gave you the opposite of what you deserved. It was a time where we sinned against God and God said, you are no longer my enemy, but I will send my son to die in your place. I will give you the opposite of what you deserve because I believe the best in you. I believe that your best days are still ahead. I believe that you're not some no good, dirty, rotten sinner, but instead you're my child made in my image and I have come to redeem you and I've given you grace. In a moment, we're going to observe communion uh, where team members are going to come down and they're going to pass out trays uh, with stacks of cups in those trays. The bottom cup has some bread that reminds us of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. The top cup has some juice that, has, uh, that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. Every week when we take communion, we're reminded that God believed the best in us that he didn't leave us to our own devices, he didn't give up on us, he didn't say, ah, forget him, but instead he poured out grace in gallons on us. We wanna be the kind of church that no matter what it is you're going through, no matter what it is you've experienced, no matter what it is you're facing, we give grace in gallons, that you are lavished with love. But if we're going to do that, that can't just be me doing it. It can't just be our staff doing it. It has to be each and every one of us determining we are going to believe the best. We're gonna give grace and gallons. We're gonna forgive and we're gonna love. That's the kind of church I believe God wants us to be. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that while we didn't deserve it, you gave us grace. You gave us forgiveness for all the boneheaded, stupid, idiotic things we've done in our life. You believe the best in us. You knew that we weren't destitute to live a life of destruction, but that we were called to live a life of greatness, of fullness. God, because we've received grace, because you believed the best in us, would you help us to believe the best in others? Would you help us to go to the people we have a grudge with, the people we can't stand, the people who rub us the wrong way and just apologize? for mismanaging the gap and explaining to them that we want to be the kind of people who show grace. Would you change our hearts this morning? Mold us and make us into the kind of people who believe the best. Because believing the best is just a better way to live than assuming the worst. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
We pray you are inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.